I'm an hour and a half out of Berlin. That's where I live. And I was in Berlin for some uh, uh, band sessions and um, I was trying to get home, but that was an issue because <laughs> the trains weren't running. You're in Germany, though. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so, providing the train went to the right place. You're home. You're just not entirely sure that it's the right country. No, I'm a little bit. At the moment, it's so confusing. It's been... Um, uh, I was shooting a video a day ago or something. I went straight and we were shooting in the middle of the night in the woods. And I kind of went straight from that to Berlin. Um, so I've been sort of, it's, it's, it's as if the video just continued for the last day. And it's very confusing. I, mean, I feel like in a normal year, the question of where you are would be even more difficult to answer. But has the <laughs> pandemic made you a little more uh, stationary, I guess is probably the right word? In some ways, yeah. But it's for, well, during the pandemic, I was pretty much just in the countryside recording and working on stuff. Um, but now that uh, the album's being released, I, I go backwards and forwards between Berlin and here. And that's actually kind of somehow a logistical nightmare because it's not that close. So I have to keep going backs and forwards and um, and because uh, my band is based in Berlin and a lot of things that I'm doing. So actually at the moment it's a lot of, you know, hin on hair, but not to be compared to touring the world for sure. Touring the world in it, and it sounded like you were jumping back and forth between Germany and Mexico for a little while there as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's been really strange actually. Um, this this winter and the one before were the one. I think the first time I spent the winter in Berlin for years, um, and that was a bit of a shock. Normally, I go to Mexico or somewhere, anywhere but here, you know, because it's it's a bit too hardcore. It's uh, gets very cold and um, windy and and um, dark. There's like no sun. So this year was an endurance test in many ways. Um, but sometimes, uh, sometimes it brings you to places that, that you wouldn't have got to out of choice. So in hindsight, I'm thankful for that. I assume that when you say places in this context, you're speaking a little bit more metaphorically. Oh yeah. What places has the last year brought you? Well, I finished the album finally, which is good. Um, and, uh, there was no escape, you know, there was like no way to procrastinate because there was just no escape. And it also made things extremely intense, just generally, um, you know, my life. I think Corona was somehow a side note compared to the other stuff that was going down because there was like, it was just an extremely just crazy year, you know? So that's that's where the, the music came from more than anything. It was just extremely emotional and uh, music was somehow the only um, uh, sanity railing that I could hold on to along the way and sort of go along with the story and figure shit out. What else was going on for you? Um, just a lot of personal stuff, you know. Uh, it was really um, just one thing after another, just uh, really taking, um, kind of taking an axe to my very core, which is quite difficult sometimes because it makes you question everything that you thought you held as real or true from the beginning of your life. So that was fun, uh, especially in lockdown. Um, but no, I can't go into exact details, but it's just, you know, I think everyone had their own battles and um, and it, it just made, it intensified everything that was going on. Um, and sometimes, yeah, I think, you know, it became so easy to just go away and um, do other things that it was yeah, certain things I, I know I hadn't dealt with, you know, since um, even things like the recession in 2008 
when I graduated and I didn't really ever manage to get a job in my field. Well, I did actually, but then, but then I quit to release the album, which was a very hard choice. And I never really dealt with the stuff that I went through, you know, as a graduate going into the recession and basically having your dreams shattered. And so then I became a musician, just ran away and ran around the world. Even things like that, you know, it was just like everything was coming back to collect its dues and there was no, there was no escape. Do you get the sense, though, that in a certain respect, the frequency that you were moving around, both in terms of obviously touring, which is part of the job, but then also just, you know, living on different continents, that that was a way of actively avoiding reality? No, uh, not necessarily. I think, yeah, to some extent it was, but at the same time, I was also doing constructive things along the way. You know, I'm not, um, I'm just someone that doesn't necessarily drink that much. I don't do drugs really, you know what I mean? So I, I'm not someone that uses escape. I, I do deal with my stuff, but, you know, I use touring as a way to understand the world and to facilitate understanding between different people you know whether it's going to Mexico and understanding that when I was first going to Mexico it wasn't as common as it is now you know I felt like in the last few years more and more people going there but when I was first there I know a lot of people were saying like why are you going to Mexico you know what are you doing there and they were quite scared by the the reported dangers of it you know similar to when I was in Iran a lot of people were like why are you going there are you gonna die and I think it's really important, you know, as a musician to go to these different places and, and actually facilitate communication between different cultures, you know, and, and, and sort of facilitate un- understanding and break down boundaries, barriers, whatever. So, you know, I love that about it. And I think as a musician, it isn't really so much about you. You know, you're kind of a vehicle, whether you're dealing with your own stuff or not. It can be very important because a lot of people can identify with something that you're going through, you know, but that was somehow just not where I was at. It's a very interesting way of putting it, taking an axe to your core, you know, especially since I I guess I would assume generally uh, on hearing a phrase like that, that, you know, that there may be some moving involved or, you know, or getting up and starting over and trying something new somewhere else. But in this case, you were forced to do so without moving <laughs> you, you were you were forced to 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 sort of like maybe confront that reality in a way that you hadn't been able to or whether consciously or unconsciously were avoiding in the past yeah and, and I think one of the hardest things was also that I had to do it completely by myself you know, normally when you're going through a bad time, you call on friends, you go over to see your family, whatever. And there was no way to do that. So I was really just like isolated going through this stuff. And I think that's why in a way, you know, it was so important to do this album because, you know, I think it is so important. Like communication is so important in this world. It's important uh, not only between different nations, but also just generally between people, between different generations. And it's this thing you know with the album it's a lot about we can't we're going through this together you know different themes because there were just a lot of themes going on last year it wasn't just one it was like just so many things you know there were um and and uh i don't know so you had said that you had been putting it off and that you were finally able to do the record how long of a process was this and how long 
had you been putting it off and 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 I guess why had you been putting it off uh well I'd, it was definitely a conscious thing to put it off um I think I wasn't really there are a number of things firstly I didn't really feel like I had something to say you know like I I, I did have a lot of things to say but I couldn't quite ha- I didn't have clarity on what it was and I still felt like I needed to learn a lot so I ended up doing a lot of collaborations and I only ever did collaborations where I could really learn something and and I love that because you know I, I, I haven't I didn't go to music school I learned theory when I was like a kid you know that was about it and so collaborations was a cool way to learn you know from Shackleton I learned a lot about beats and about working with the clock and with Tricky I learned a lot about not being too being too um possessive about your words or too sensitive about words you know whatever and and with Jeff I learned a lot about how to use reverb and echo and how to produce a snare drum and um I don't know from the guy from Noi he taught me a bit about pedals and I was using like loop stations and things with him and you know I had like pretty cool lecturers in 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 my own made creation of university on tour <laughs> so and the same with Exploded View I mean Exploded View taught me a lot about how to be a band and how to actually talk to each other and how when you're making music how to communicate with one another and that was that was a learning curve I think for all of us obviously there's a sense in which this record is collaborative I mean you know you do have a band you are working with others but it sounds like it's still a very different process no there wasn't a band actually I wrote it by myself I I was um sitting at home and 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 then uh luckily and then I was sat there with these weird demos that I knew where they were going but I needed kind of help to get them to where I needed them to be or wanted them to be so that was when I called up the guy um my good friend Martin from Exploded View I think first I sent them to Jeff and just to be like you know what do you reckon and Jeff was like I don't really get it but cool and then uh, (laughs) And then I phoned up Martin and Martin gets me a bit more. So I was like, you know, what do you reckon? And he said, oh, yeah, cool. You know, um, I'd be up for co-producing it with you because, you know, I don't really have that much gear anymore. I, I had a bit at some point, but I sold it and stuff. So I just kept working on the things and I rented a studio that had all the stuff that I knew I wanted to use. Um, so I went in there and just started writing and then uh, Martin came and um, played the drums live because I just made beats on on um, uh, with electronic drums so he did them live and then we cut up the tracks together and just rearranged some things and he has way better sounds on his computer than I do so we did a lot that, of that but then also um, just did a couple of overdubs so it was actually a very different process and and, and trying to adapt it for live is is, is a right headache because with Beak and the Annika project, it was like we were all in one room. We were playing instruments at the same time. I think we overdubbed maybe a drum machine or maybe the piano on I Go to Sleep or something. And that was it. Um, so, I mean, actually, theoretically, or really, uh, I think there were no overdubs if, if, if I believe the press statement. And I think there really weren't. I don't even know. Maybe, maybe Stu was in the other room doing the drum machine or something. But it was way easier to figure out for live. But this one, it's like, oh, wow, there's so many things going on. And it doesn't really make sense, you know, <laughs> like a lot of the things, especially to a, a musically trained person. They're like, what is this? You know, even the drummer I've I've now, because I've put together a band in Berlin for the live show and the drummers uh, just say, who wrote the drums? Because they're really weird. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, that was me, you know. <laughs> so, um, I mean, obviously, I definitely don't want to take credit away from Martin because he, he obviously um, actually took them beyond just loops, which is what I started with um, and did this crazy 
whatever magic with them but they are very strange you know like it's a mix of influences from drum and bass and jungle to whatever is that a concerted effort to make them strange no it's just the way i go i've got terrible t- i've got terrible timing you know i've got like two left hands and a i don't know and one track brain so it's very confusing so um i just uh yeah i'm not trying to be it's just what they are you know i don't I just write in a different way and it usually makes sense. And then I did some more because actually before Corona, the idea was always to write the album that year. So I took off the um, November until March um, in 2019. And in that time, I did a little bit more. I learned a bit. I, I did a mini music course about arrangement because I wanted to push myself a bit further so that I could do all of it, you know. And um, so I, I was trying to trying to do that, but um I don't know. And then Corona happened, so then I just carried on. But I threw away all the stuff I wrote before. I had a load of demos in March that year, and it was, you know, with Corona and everything that was going on, I was like, this is so not relevant anymore. You know, there's a whole load of other stuff I want to say. And I booked like five days uh, in the studio and just brought my box of diaries and just freestyled over some beats that I made and started playing piano and weird synths and stuff. I heard you describe the process of of moving and that in order to sort of be flexible with your geography, you really do have to get rid of a lot of your belongings. And, and you know, I wonder if there's a way in which, at least metaphorically, that that is similar to the process of essentially scrapping a bunch of demos and starting over again. No, I think it's a bit different, actually. I mean, I think because I did live out of a suitcase for a good 10 years or something, not actually out of a suitcase, but I was just... um. I would move a lot around and the only way I could really afford to do it was to, so if I went to Mexico for three months, then I would just move out of my place in Berlin and put my stuff, a few things I had in in my friend's basement. And then I would live in Mexico and, and find ways to get shows to pay my flights and stuff so that I could just do what I wanted to do, you know, do the the projects I wanted to do. And I always found a way to juggle the costs and make sure they it happened, you know, because it's not that easy to just go to Mexico and start a band. You kind of need quite a few, you need guts and you need to find a way to bankroll it, you know, and I don't have any money and the first album didn't really make any monies. So I just sort of became this weird nomad, just going around finding, and people often said like, I don't get your touring schedule, like why, why are you going there and then there? And I was like, well, I just want to go to these places, you know, it was a way of just going in exploring the world and 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 just i did a lot a solo show that was uh with a lot of very just com- unreleased stuff or versions of the tracks completely different and it was um i don't know it was just a way to get around and and it, it wasn't following the normal structure of music of like you know the spotify oh you need to release three albums a year otherwise you're not relevant i don't know it was just sort of an anti anti form it was again it was this encouraging interaction because the the shows would be a bit odd and a bit confrontational. And now the album's different. Obviously, you know, I've gone through the usual motions with this album and got a press team and labels behind it, and that was a conscious choice because I wanted to just give it a bit of a the best chances of survival just to see, you know, just have whatever, for whatever reason. But, yeah, there's different ways, you know. It's, uh, music is a journey. It's not about just dishing out whatever stuff. You know, I'm not I'm not a restaurant. It's more about just figuring stuff out and figuring out the world and finding out 
and kind of sharing your findings and being like, yeah, this is where I'm at. Um, what do you reckon? Kind of, I don't know. It's weird. The parallel that I see between the two is, is not being too precious about something and, and being able to, to let go. I know what you mean. Yeah, I think because with with things, at least I know with synth, uh, synthesizers. Um, when I did at one point, I had a few, and I had quite a nice little studio in Berlin. And then I was given a month or two months notice to move out because you know this was a time in Berlin where suddenly the property was going through the roof and everyone was being kicked out of everywhere. But I was due to go to Mexico next week, so I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Mexico for three months. What am I going to do with all my stuff? And I ended up just selling it at decent rates to local bands because I'm like, I just want this stuff to be used, you know? And I think, uh, and this was often the way with many of my possessions, I'm not that possessive, you know? I'm like, okay, I, I want to give it, you know, thanks for uh, being in my possession for a little while and everything you gave me and now I give it to someone else, you know? And with, with, with in terms of songs, when I throw songs away, I'm not like, it still went into the bank and it, it got you to the place of doing the next thing, you know? So, so in a way there is a similarity, but it's also different in that, um, the, all the right, you know, they often say you need to get through a hundred rubbish ideas to get to the good one. So if it's a bad idea, I'm like, Oh, that's just another one of the 100 bad ones that I need to do before I get to the good one. And sometimes you hit the good one first. Sometimes it takes a lot of rubbish. Were these necessarily rubbish ideas or it sounds more like, circumstance that they just weren't as you had put it before that they weren't relevant for the moment uh, yeah they weren't very good. a lot of them weren't very good you know I, I think it was just it was more like like I said it, it got me to the place I wanted in the end but it was just like oh okay and if I hadn't done those then I would never have got to the end and even now when I'm learning the songs I'm like I don't even know how I got here you know like how did I even write this I don't remember I don't even remember what notes I've played and I have no idea how you know, how did I deal with these things at once? I don't know. It's very strange. But, uh, so you need the bad ideas too. And who knows when you actually get to the good idea. Like I say, you know, I sent it to Jeff and he was like, yeah, I don't really get it. So you still have to believe in, you have to know in yourself when it's done. You know, that's the hard thing with all of these sort of things. It's like, mm, is it finished? It's like with art, artists, you know, they never know when, it's knowing when to stop. It's, a, you know, that's hard. It sounded though that you had really made a deal with yourself that you weren't going to get out of the year without producing an album. Yeah, you know, actually, yeah, in a way, but actually not. Like I, I was sort of mm, flirting with the idea of quitting also in 2019. But then when all this stuff went down, like I said, music was the only thing that was keeping me going. And it was the only, and I was so concentrated on it because it was the only thing, it was the only way to get through the stuff I was going through. So it became necessity and that's in the end what, so it became true in itself. Yeah, which is strange. It's not the first time you had considered quitting music. No. <laughs> It seems to be a bit of a theme. I know. Every time I try and quit, something happens, and then I just like end up, yeah, making an album, which is kind of like maybe, and it's not on purpose. You know, I really was going to quit again in 2019 because I had a bit of a, I don't know, a few things happened where it was like, oh, are you sure this is the good idea? And I thought, oh, maybe I need to sort out my life. You know, there are a few people around me that were like, oh, maybe you should grow up and stop being such a, such a child and stop being a musician. And um, and sadly, I listened to them only for a while, luckily. And then uh, and then then I realised they were just 
idiots, all of them. No, that's not true. But, but you know what I mean? There's always going to be people around you saying that you need to grow up. It comes from a place of concern, generally, I assume. Yeah, and some of them, yeah. Other ones, not. I think other ones can be all sorts. And in the end, I don't know. You know, I, uh, I came into the realization that some people were just not very nice. That's just a, which is odd because I don't really, I don't, I don't really understand that always, you know, like actually wanting to do someone or something harm. I don't, I I can't, it's something I don't really relate to, you know, I'm not going to like pull the wings off a butterfly or something just for fun. And some people do this and, and um, some people do this to other people too. And I don't know why and I don't know what they get from it. But that was one thing that I learned last year was that these people exist and you don't, you can't always understand them or why. And, and I don't know. It's just the way it goes. But it's usually best to try and avoid them and not have them in your life. And if they happen to be in power, then try and vote as much as you can for the other people. I mean, certainly you can't base important life decisions on the feedback that they're giving you. Yeah, well, it depends. That person might be extremely, uh, if uh depends on the situation, you know, of course these, these people can, can, uh, can be extremely manipulative. And, and this, like I said, this can be in positions of power often as well. And this is when, yeah, it is important to really, you have to trust yourself and you have to learn to trust yourself. And that was one thing I really had to learn in that year, you know, it was a lot about like, um, not listening to the all the other rubbish, you know, that's going on. And I think especially in this the political climate right now where there's so many narratives going on um, and a lot of them are rubbish. It's fear narratives. And how do you, you know, how, how do you somehow snap out of that and realise that it's a fear narrative and that it's not actually logical and that it's just trying to make you scared so that you do something. So, yeah, so that was interesting actually. And it just, you know, it was happening on the minor scale and on the mass scale. But that's life. It's full of its own lessons and it brings them whenever it wants. You can't always choose. Oftentimes I found in my own life that it all tends to happen at the same time too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, often also the good things can happen all at once. And it's like, oh, why can't you just stagger it, you know, so I can actually enjoy these ones. Like, why be... But, uh, you know, there used to be this bus in, in Berlin that I used to take sometimes. And it really, it always was the way it wouldn't show for like an hour and then and then like four would come at once. And it's like, okay, I know this is the old saying of like buses, but this with this bus, it was really true. And it was so frustrating. So, you know, that's how life is sometimes. In this particular case, the the impulse to quit, it sounds like was primarily coming from external sources in the other instances has that generally been the case as well yeah actually i mean the 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 reason i wanted to quit wasn't from these people even though they were around me trying to say that and trying to make me feel guilty about doing what i did which actually was really silly because they just didn't want me to leave them but that's another whole nother matter but no the 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 thing was more it was uh it was really getting to my health like physical health like i had a bit of a just you know, because I, when you're carrying all this stuff all the time and, 
and 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 so it was more that I was like, oh, maybe I should sort of chill out a little bit and get a different job because you know it takes its toll after a while. And I thought, okay, I've done it twelve years or whatever it is. Maybe it's maybe it's time. And I thought, oh, maybe I should try and do you know that normal life thing. Um, but then I realised that that would just be really bad idea because I'd just be lying to myself and everyone else if I tried to pretend like nothing had happened before. I don't know, like you know, it just would be weird. So, um and I only realised that after a while. So sometimes you just have to go through these things. It's trial and improvement life, figuring stuff out. I think something a lot of people realize too when they do back away from it is how much of their for better or for worse, how much of their identity is tied to this thing that they've been doing for so long. Yeah, I mean it's definitely identity in a way, but I think that's not really what was getting to me I think it was more the fact that I wasn't allowed to play in normal life you know what I mean like being part of being a musician is you have to be playful and you have room to explore and you don't need to have knowns you know whereas in in sort of normal life it's it's sort of living within this this accepted norms that actually are total rubbish. You know what I mean? Like I could never buy it even when I was a teenager at school. And I was like, no, I don't really, I don't, okay, I get your theory and I get the fact that you say it's true, but it is actually only a theory or a hypothesis. And I don't really, you know, doesn't really sound with me. You know, I I, I get it, but, you know, there's a lot of that in society or in the world. It's, it's a, there are accepted meanings for things and it's like, okay, this is the way we do that and that's the way we do that. And I think when you've travelled a lot as well, you see that there really are very different ways of doing stuff everywhere and that this whole thing about, oh, you need to do things like that, it's sort of a bit rubbish, you know. And I don't want to just sort of walk around playing in this weird little doll's house of someone else. You know what I mean? I'd rather actually just be sometimes naive and stupid and do things differently and maybe put the wrong ingredient in my cooking. I don't care, whatever. You know what I mean? I don't want to be told by someone else, oh, no, you can't do that. So maybe I am just a big child, but maybe I just don't really want to. <laughs> maybe, uh, but I think it's health. You know, why do you want to just go along with this? Just, I mean, I, I, I really value um, inherited knowledge. You know, I think we all do probably. That's why we wear clothes and hats and things. But at the same time, you know, there's room to still grow. It doesn't mean that, okay, now that's it. And I feel like generally in the West or in most civilizations, um, I mean, I call them civilizations, but I don't think they're very civilized most of the time. There's, there's a thing where once you've graduated, you no longer, you don't need to learn anymore. I mean, yeah, maybe you need to do another certificate for your job or something. But you're not allowed to be playful anymore. And it's almost like um, you're shamed if, if your behavior is a bit child. Oh, you're being a bit childlike, you know? Well, that's a bit of a shame, isn't it? It means you just, you're not allowed to ever say that you don't know the answer evermore. You know, you have to now always say, oh, no, I know the answer. It's this. This is how you should do it. You know, whatever. No, you know what? So it makes me vulnerable to say I don't actually know. And and I think that's the nice thing about music is you can explore a lot and it gives you space to do that and you meet other people and you go on little trips together and, and you figure it out. Um, and you don't always know where you're going at the beginning and it, you suddenly get somewhere and it's like, oh, wow, you know, like that was cool. Didn't really expect that. Is there a sense in which playing music is childlike or is, is kind of avoiding 
growing up, just the act of wanting to do that and doing that for a living? Well, that's the thing. It depends on what you mean by childlike. If you're saying in a derogatory way or if you're saying it in a, you know, what is childlike anyway? I mean, childhood is a socially constructed category in some ways. I'm asking specifically in terms of dealing with other people's perceptions of what you do. Do you get the sense that their feeling about wanting to be professional music is wanting to be a professional musician is a way of prolonging that and sort of pushing off the inevitable adulthood well i mean not necessarily because what is adulthood anyway you know i think it's all subjective it depends what um who you are who you're asking you know in england having your own house is seen as a a means you know a signifier of success and things and then uh, you know recently i was in this conversation with some a berlin anti-fire and she was like no you should never get your own house you're giving the money to the you know, to the whatever, the mega corporations that are buying all the houses up in Berlin. And it's like, yeah, of course, it's subjective. You know, everyone's got an opinion and and, um, in terms of growing up or whatever. You know, I think music, what about people that design T-shirts, you know, the swirly patterns on T-shirts? Like, you know, they need to be a bit creative. And then some boring Barry from whatever might wear that T-shirt. And it's obviously served its function. And I think in the end, in this world... Everyone needs to, everyone serves a different function. We can't always do the same. You know, I remember when I was a journalist and my editor used to say, I'm very happy that you're working here, Annika, but I also am very happy that not everyone's like you because I think I'd go crazy. So, you know, and it's just like, I think everyone is, different people play different roles. And even in the band, you know, you need the people that just play the stuff and you need the other ones that might just add a little bit more something to it I think it's uh, across the board like that you know and and it's not like one is better than the other yeah everyone plays a role you know but I do enjoy the fact that music affords me this freedom and that I don't need to I don't need to pretend as much like when I was growing up I felt like I had to pretend a lot to pretend to be someone I wasn't whereas music you don't really need to pretend you just do what you want it's okay most of the time I mean it depends. But I don't need to pretend to have the answer. That's nice. When you were working as a journalist and your editor said that to you, that if there were more of you or that if everyone was like you, that he or she would go crazy. What are those qualities you think that, that they were seeing in you that were, I guess, so different from your peers? Um, I think it was more that I just used to question everything he said. And I didn't do it in a way to be annoying or, um, you know, I just was, it was more to understand, you know, to to understand what he wanted me to do or whatever. And he said, yeah, you know, the other people, they just say, yeah, okay. And then they go do the job. But with you, you're always saying, yeah, but what about that? Or what about that? And maybe, you know, I think that's definitely, that's why I always wanted to be a documentary journalist or um, I like to, to question things I think it's important because so often um we don't question things and it's like you know I remember being fascinated by um the the normal curve when I learned psychology as a I don't know like when I was 16 or something and just generally about this thing of like norms you know accepted norms and what and the fact that actually it's firstly it's very um and you you see this in 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 uh, race and misogyny kind uh, trials 
one thing is acceptable in one era and in another era it's not. And this is often guided by these norms, you know, this norm curve. The same in, um, you know, and I think growing up half German, half English, um, and going to school in England and where they said all the Germans were evil and and I didn't, and I, you know, I have German family and, and, and I was like, oh, no, this doesn't quite seem right. You know, it's not as simple as black and white kind of thing. So then I would talk to my German relatives about these things. And, and one of the things that they, with my grandmother, used to dwell on, I mean, she didn't really overtly tell me this, but I got it through my mother, you know, about the, the, a lot of the bad stuff that happened in Germany. And but my grandparents, at least my grandmother, used to always just say, yeah, but we didn't know. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what was going on, you know, specifically in relation to concentration camps and what was going on there. And I think growing up with this, it was somehow shows how important it is to question things, question what's really going on, you know, and say, oh, actually, I don't, or when you feel like there's something happening that you don't, you don't think's okay, is I think it's important to stand up and say, no, I don't think that's okay. You know, even if you're in a room and everyone's like, what do you mean you don't think that's okay? Because I'm sure that's what would have happened back then. You know, imagine being the one that's like, oh, actually, I don't think this is quite right. You know, you'd probably be shot. You know, I think it's important. You have to be the one that says, oh, actually, I don't think this is quite okay. Is that what drew you to journalism in the first place? Yeah, realizing that uh, stories don't have the good and the evil. You know, it's not as easy as this Disney-fied version and that uh, that politics and history are complex. You know, you can see that now in England, and England is still going on about winning the war in football, and then yet they're extremely racist in, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, really um, hardcore English football fans that are like, we won the war, we won the war, and then they start shouting racist chants at, at half the football players. And you think, yeah, but why are you happy that you won the war? Well, because, it, you know, if you actually look at, you know, what what actually it's seen as a victory over racism, it's seen as a victory, a victory over over these certain things and yet you're totally hypocritical because you're just being racist against a different group of people and you know I think there's so much hypocrisy in these um in these narratives and yeah I think it and and that was one thing that was really important you know or one of the things I wanted to do with music like I said before you know is travel as much as I can and break down these stereotypes and break down these monolithic entities of good and evil and and civilized and not civilized and whatever you know because it's all rubbish in the end I remember um coming back from Iran and in Iran the you know a lot of the women I met were extremely well dressed and like with perfect makeup perfect nails you know extremely like done up and and when I came back from Iran from this residency someone I think they meant it as a joke but it was the most sort of like poor joke ever where they said oh yeah welcome back to civilization you know and I looked around, I was at Berlin Airport, and there were these two German women, like, punching each other because one had stolen the other one's suitcase by accident. And then I saw these Iranian women, like, standing around all, like, gasping at this scene. And I was like, yeah, yeah, welcome back to civilization. Of course, that's where I am now. So, uh, you know, it's I think it's important to, and that's why I love music, because it does give you a, the chance to try and, yeah, like, facilitate conversation between different um different people and you know I've played in Russia and that was really interesting had some great conversations with people after the show I don't know yeah I played in Japan one of the shows was cool the other one was a bit weird but yeah it's cool it's a nice way to to do it and you know if you can 
sometimes people are moved by it. Maybe they might go do something. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's important. It sounds like at least the early stages of the process of putting this record together were solitary in a way that, you know, maybe music making hasn't been for you in some time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, that was a lot about um, just, uh, I didn't really, I think that's why I really had to do that course at the beginning of the year, because I just didn't have enough um, faith in myself to do it. You know, and that so I knew that's why I kind of set myself up with this course because I knew what I was lacking. I was sort of lacking the 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 seeing it finished. You know what I mean? And and I remember once even even a few years ago, I learned um, how to drive in Berlin because I also I was struggling to do this thing where to see something go from like not knowing how to do something to knowing how to do it. You know, and and um, when you're out of education for a while can just be this strange thing you know because you have to be bad at it for a while which is hard you have to sit there and be like oh, okay but you have to have you have to trust yourself that if you just keep at it it will get good which um which as you get older does become harder I think so um yeah so that that kind of gave me the guts to just write and so in the beginning of the solitary process I used to just every day I would try and write a song you know whether it was good or not I didn't I didn't care I just wanted to finish it and that was good but yeah I think everyone has to find their own process you know which it seems like a really trivial thing probably for everyone that went to music school because they learned that but I didn't you know I learned how to write and stuff different things I speak to a lot of musicians and I'm a writer myself and obviously anything that's remotely creative everybody's process tends to vary quite a bit but I do find that more often than not sometimes in in the cases where people suggest this isn't true they might be um, trying to make the process sound more romantic than it is but the vast majority of people I speak to who write music it, it has to be a very deliberate process to, you know, right down to actually almost creating office hours for themselves and, and pretending like they're going into an office and, you know, sitting down and, mm. and, and wood shopping as they call it. But the, the weird thing is, you know, that, that is, um, but then some of the songs like, uh, I end up the actual ones I wrote, I wrote in a very random sporadic nature so I did all this this office hours stuff but that was to get the bad ideas out I needed to learn the discipline and then suddenly you know two of the tracks uh freedom and um finger pies off the album I wrote those in my studio just one night and I, I just went in well on different days but I remember I just went in and I was just trying to escape a certain situation in my house so I just went in and was like ah and just let loose and went wild and then ended up with these two weird tracks so it definitely wasn't on purpose and the same with going into the studio I sort of set up this framework so I went into the studio with with some drum loops and chord progressions as a starting point and then went crazy with the lyrics and just totally let out all this stuff but it was only possible because I'd been writing all this other stuff the days before so I got used to the routine of it and then I could go wild you know it's always the way they they say with many things you have to you learn it really tight somehow and then then you can start to kind of loosen up with it it's the same with bands you know when you're rehearsing you you should learn it you know, to be really perfect first, and then you can start to 
mess with it a bit. That's a process they describe for painting, right? Is you need to learn all the rules and you need to become technically good at it. And then you can start painting outside of the lines. Hmm. But I mean, it really depends on the situation. I think this with, with uh, when you're writing alone, it's a lot more discipline in that way because you have to, you have to do, you have to go back to it in different roles. Whereas, you know, when I play, when I wrote with Exploded View, we really did it just, you know, it was all live and same with Beak even, you know. And even with the tricky thing, we did it all live because I had stuff to bounce against. But when you're when you're um, writing alone, you have to sort of go into the studio with one hat on and then go back in with a different one and then and different roles. You can be more free you know like with my lyrics I'm always very free like I never really consciously write lyrics they just come from a weird dark place but when maybe if I'm doing drums I'll be a bit more mathematical about it it depends not always you know sometimes I do some weird beat and then try and make it make sense and improve the timing a little bit but um yeah, it depends, really. The first solo record leaned a lot more heavily on covers. You know, you, you you do have writing credits on some of the songs. Were you just not ready to write at that point in your career and life? Uh, well, we never, the intention was never to be a musician or release an album. So there was no, it was like going to the cinema. You know what I mean? I didn't really have an intention and they didn't really either. I mean, I only realized after they were actually looking for a singer for Beak, but I didn't really get that. I was sort of, I'd, I'd been working in a different part of the music scene. I, I wasn't a musician. I wasn't ever in bands. Um, I secretly in my own home played guitar and, and wrote lyrics as a way to just get all the stuff out of my head that I didn't understand. And then, um, and yeah, I was more a facilitator, observer, you know, I did, um, uh, you know, as a journalist, I was a booker, I set up a mini label, I was managing bands. And then I quit that because it was just killing my soul and I didn't sleep for about a year and a half. And um, and then I, by accident, got a call about, I don't know, singing on some, and I, I just didn't have anything to do and I didn't really have anywhere to live. So when someone said, oh yeah, just come to Bristol and you can hang out with us. And I was like, all right, I just wanted some people to hang out with. Maybe. I don't know. It was definitely not. I wasn't like, oh, yeah, let's go write an album. None of us were. And we didn't even think about it. It was only um, some quite a while after when I was in Berlin and I'd already I'd finally got a job in journalism after a year of being, you know, in a bad place. And um, that was when Jeff called me up saying, oh, yeah, by the way, I was listening through to those um, those songs we recorded. And I realized we've got sort of like eight. So if I did a remix, it's about nine. So it could be an album, like we could release it. And I was like, oh, didn't really want to. I've just got a job in what I want to do. Don't mess it up now, sort of thing. Um, but then I was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, maybe. Like, it sounds kind of cool. And he said, well, you know, you can you could borrow Beak as a live band um, and then just do what you want with it. And so I was like, okay. And then he was like, yeah, on the condition, you always have to pay everyone and you have to make sure you have a sound tech always and a, and a the person to carry the stuff because Beak won't carry the stuff. But they, of course, they did as well. But, you know, so he was like, all right, so you can have all this and maybe borrow some of my connections, but you have to figure out how to pay for it all. Here we go. So um, so I was like, okay. So I took the challenge and then it was um, kind of interesting. At a certain point when people are clearly responding positively to it and you're 
getting all these opportunities to play in interesting places and play with great bands. It must feel like you're on the right path to some degree. Um, well, the thing is, yeah, the beginning, it was weird. You know, I didn't really know, uh, I didn't really know what was going on and I didn't really, I didn't really want to be honest. Like, I had mega stage fright, you know, like I've never been in school plays or anything. I was so shy. It was just impossible. So, um, so it was a bit weird at the beginning. Um, and it wasn't so easy because there was a lot of abuse, but that was why we recorded it anyway. Um, you know, at the beginning, I wanted to do an anti-album because I was really annoyed at a lot of the stuff in the music industry. And when I first met Jeff, we were just, you know, we had similar qualms. Um, and so we just wanted to make something that was almost, it was hard to sync, you know, because it was all recorded in one room and there weren't stems. And it was sort of like this weird voice that was hidden in the back under these layers, you know, and the drums and bass were really far out in the front. And, and it was sort of produced and recorded in this this very um, obtuse way, you know, like, uh, and then, and then, yeah, of course the hip hop heads hated it, especially because we re- released it on Stone's Throat. So the first video got so much abuse and I think it had, at the beginning, it had so many dislikes. It was about half, half, you know, like half likes, half dislikes. And they're like, oh, what is this rubbish sort of thing? And, um, and then slowly people sort of started to think it was all right, but it took a while I mean, there was not, you know, it wasn't like a, immediately popular. The weird thing with it, it's just been this constant burner, you know, it's sort of for 10 years and people discover it now and they think it just came out and it's like, okay. So it's it's just, you're, you're playing a different game. It's like a weird thing. And yeah, it was surreal at the beginning playing some of these shows with a lot of people that I really admire and it was very strange. And I was under a lot of stress, so I couldn't always enjoy the beginning parts. But then, but then, you know, I realized it was um, somehow a weird necessity that meant I, could, you know, continued it and whatever. But it's a weird thing. I don't really understand. You can look back on those successes and, and see what you were able to achieve. But while you're actually going through it, it doesn't feel like a constant stream of successes. No, I was sort of hell at the beginning. I had a really bad time at the start. And, I, you know, there would be these mega highlights where I would suddenly find myself in uh, playing on on the, um, you know, or sharing a dressing room with, like, I don't know, next to Nick Cave and PJ Harvey and, like, people I really admire. And, and you know, having just this really amazing food and, and being driven around and then being in Paris and them giving you free clothes and everyone saying you're amazing. And then the van would drop me off at my bedsit in Bristol and I realised I only had euros on me and I ran out of change for the bloody electricity meter and so I sat in the dark on my bed and I didn't, you know, and it was freezing and and in a tiny weird little room with the psycho next door that was a Britney Spears obsessed guy that would just play her DVDs on repeat. And obviously now we've got a different Britney Spears era right now. But before, you know, going back to the previous times, but it was just like, wow, you know, like the contrast between the situations of extreme luxury and being surrounded by all these people that are like, yeah, you're great. And then the next minute you're just stuck in the dark in a bedsit that smells moldy and it's freezing and I, and and actually the beginning was really hard because I was surrounded by all these you know with Beak I was touring with them and they all just thought what who is this person you know because I had no idea what I was doing 
or how to deal with the stress or the or going on the stage you know I'd have like mini panic attacks like after each performance wasn't really easy you know whereas people that go to stage school they're like yes this is the moment I've been waiting for and of course later on you know like I, the Exploded View tour in 2018 was one of my favorite tours and it was so nice to tour with friends and to tour with you know and and it took time to get there to actually be able to enjoy it as well standing out there and performing in front of people is one of the more vulnerable things you can do but so is writing it an entire album and and putting it out there. I mean, in a sense, is this, are you kind of returning to that early vulnerability to some degree? No, it's vulnerable in different way. I mean, I'm, I, you know, with the music, yeah, of course it's vulnerable and I I don't mind putting it out. It's just like, all right, you can slate it if you want, but in the end it's just, you know, it's just where I'm at sort of thing. But, um, I don't know. It was just, yeah, it was just very different. At the beginning, it was difficult because I really was just sort of drowning in it all. And I didn't know what to do, you know. And that's why I find it difficult when people, especially younger musicians, are like, oh, how did you get there? Or how did you get your record deal? Or like, what advice do you have? And I'm like, I just don't know. You know, I, I don't really, I never really wanted, you know, it's not like I went to stage school and then was like, I really want to be a singer. You know, I, that wasn't really my route. So I can't really advice on that you know and I and 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 as you see with people like Britney Spears and this tragic story right now it's not as easy as people think it is and you you need a lot of and you know if you especially if you're surrounded by the wrong people which is very often the case especially if you're young and people are like you know taking advantage it, it can be horrendous you know I was very lucky to I mean I I'd actually been like I said before I went into music I was working as a promoter or a journalist a label person managing bands I had a reasonable idea about the music industry I think more than a lot of people that are in it but one thing I didn't know anything about was the bit about being a musician you know and um And I was lucky because uh, Jeff surrounded me with a lot of very good people. And Jeff himself was, you know, he's a good guy. And and I'm very grateful to him and to Peanut Butter Wolf and to Beak and to all the people that they surrounded me with. You know, it was good people. Um, I had to then fall on my face a few times when I was trying to put together my own group of good people. But that's the way it goes. But yeah, it's a hard, it's a difficult journey. You know, I think you need a lot of guts to do it. And uh, especially when you're, when it's DIY, because there wasn't, it's not like it was the nineties and there were major budgets and everyone was doing it for me. Like I was managing the project since the beginning, you know, managing the budgets, the bands, often booking the tours. And it's like, yeah, you do need, and, and then you live off a shoestring alongside it, you know? Because if you're just breaking even the whole time, it's a little bit tricky. So it's like, yeah, you need to to, to do this job. If you want to do it in that way, yeah, you need a lot of guts and you need a lot of, um, you have to be a bit business savvy, even though you also can't be. So it's that finding that balance of being business savvy in the back, but then the music has to remain true to heart. And that, you know, that was something that at the beginning I found really hard because the music, like the performing on stage was so emotional and it, it would just like destroy me. And then people would try and talk to me after the show and I'd just like rip their head off because I couldn't quickly put the gate up again to keep the tigers in, you know. So that took a little bit of learning. You had mentioned earlier that, that you've, you're dealing with publicists and, and taking a sort of, I guess, more traditional route or traditional approach to putting this out in the world. And is that part of taking this more 
I don't know if seriously is probably the wrong word because it implies you weren't serious before, but that you're, I guess, sort of approaching it more as a job, as a career in a way that maybe you hadn't previously. Well, the thing is, um, previously, like I say, you know, I'd worked in the scene um, in all the other ways apart from the music, being the musician thing. So before I, my way to deal with it was to just try and put on my like business hat because like it was the only way to protect them myself in that situation so I I, so I always did it seriously because I'm not going to quit my job that I spent a year trying to get to do it you know I I always gave it a you know I always took it seriously but I think in the last years I've I finally learned how to be a musician more how to let go more how to trust yourself how to like all these skills that maybe other people have or maybe learn in it's just different it's an evolution you know that's that's what that's the longer you're in it it's just you know you you get to know things and um yeah it's a journey music is a journey that's why it's uh you know I think sometimes when when um there was a girl recently wrote to me on uh, she's a music student somewhere and she's 19 and she said some of her um, people around her were saying she's too old to do music and I thought what you're 19 that's insane like, uh, but it's this thing this weird pressure at the moment where you need to have like 20 albums out by the time you're 20 and um and and it's this it's this quick you know premature growth uh, forcing of um things before before you've even ripened and i think sometimes it's good to, you know it's good to take your time i mean that's why then a lot of young artists might work with older ones or they might have management in the back to try and speed up the process that's what music is a lot about learning and you know if you look at people like david bowie or even the beatles like they they went through a lot of different growing times you know, from the sort of clean-cut Beatles to then the 70s hippies to sort of 80s, whatever they, you know. It sounds like it is a combination of, as you said, learning to trust yourself, but also learning to trust others and learning to give up certain aspects that maybe you might have micromanaged in the past. I think it's more about learning how to trust. Like, I always trusted people. But um, sometimes too much, you know, like I put too much in their hands. And uh, it was more, I think I, I, I had to learn how to be more selective. You know, that was one thing, because often I try to see the good in many people. And um, actually, you don't always have to do that. Like, of course, you can, you don't, you know, if you're doing certain things, you, you don't need to be selective. But if it's coming, if it's to do with your business or, you, you know, who you're playing with, or it's, it's okay to just say sometimes, like, okay, this didn't work, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's a lot of it's just learning. But, it, and I'm still only like, I don't know, 4% of the way, you see what happens next.